0: Hi and welcome to the fourth episode of the It's a Mimic Campaign Builder. I'm Adam. And I'm Dan. And over the course of this series, we will be sitting down and creating a session-by-session campaign that you can either follow along with week-by-week or take inspiration from as you see fit.
1: These first five episodes are on basic campaign development that will set the tone for the rest of the series before we start building sessions. Last episode saw us discuss the locations and surroundings where the party will be starting. In this episode, we're going to be fleshing out a guild for the party to be members
0: of, as well as opposing factions that will be out in the world. Remember that through the duration of this series, we'll be building off an assumed party of the following five archetypes. A warrior, a priest, a mage, a criminal, and an outdoorsman. They will be slowly leveling up, and we'll make sure that we're clear about what tier and specific level we're working on. But first, let's get to building. So it may seem a little strange to some people that we're really digging our our teeth into this this concept of a guild right off the bat. Yeah. This may seem a little strange because a lot of different D&D groups don't deal with guilds. We decided to go with a guild structure for a couple of reasons. First and foremost, it's important that there's some common ground and that uh, there are some clear goals right off the beginning because we're going to hit the ground running in this campaign.
1: Yeah, I mean, you want... You want to have a way for your party to all come together really easily, just to start things off. It really sucks if you have one one episode, one session of your your D&D campaign devoted to the party coming together and working out their differences when they have nothing in common. This at least gives them something in common.
0: Yeah, and we don't have to worry about right now what the common goals are as we're building this because we're not even going to know who these players or characters are until long after this campaign is written. So, because we are doing this podcast ahead of time with a theoretical campaign and a theoretical party, we don't have a, a obvious um, Storm Herald barbarian yeah, we, and a light cleric. and We don't know what we're dealing with. We don't have the specifics down in front of us. So, what we do have, um, and this is when you plan as a DM, you don't know necessarily what the players are going to bring to the table. So... You should keep it open and having a common theme and a common goal from the beginning is very useful. The other thing uh, about starting off with a guild is that you right off the bat have an NPC or multiple reasons. You can have a call to action, a quest giver that they will automatically give a crap about because... You don't want to just pull off of, oh, your parents are dead. Or whatever <laughs> crazy edgelord backstory that they're going to come up with. You know they're going to get in a bar fight in session one. Oh, yeah. You know they're going to narrow their eyes at each other in session one. You know the bard is going to try to pick up a, a, a bartender in session one. That's going to happen. We don't need to go over that. Let's just skip it and say, hey, look at this really cool guild. And give you guys another option besides um four strangers meeting in a tavern yeah but there's there's a lot more out there than just guilds oh absolutely then um there are a number of different factions um b- beyond uh guilds that you can get into do you want to go through a list of them sure i mean you could have a crew of a ship a religious
1: order And then you could go on the other side of the coin of the religious order and have a full-on cult. Uh, You could have a militia or maybe just a battalion. So the the
0: difference, for those of you who don't know, a militia is untrained troops. Yeah. Like kind of the villagers of the countryside pick up arms, whether it's a... An ancestral heirloom sword, like a family sword, or just a pitchfork and torches. But they're going off to war, whereas a battalion is a trained Trained military force.
1: Exactly. Yeah. You can have your city council, which is just your higher-ups in the town, uh, have a little bit more political bent to that faction. Um, Or
0: you could be employees of a shop, right? Or or a tavern, whatever it is, right? Like a business where you guys are all... um, Bound together. I mean, that's what my Tuesday group is. They started off with a shared backstory of they were all um, employees of a tavern, of an inn. Oh, that's cool. Which burned to the ground. Oh, good. And the motherly matron that brought them all in because they're ex-cons was murdered. And because they're ex-cons, they're on the run because they're the number one suspects. Now, they know they didn't do it. But they're, it's an evil campaign, and they're on the run right from the very beginning because they were employees together.
1: Yeah, that, that's awesome. Um, you can have, if, if maybe they got captured or whatnot, you have the factions like a gladiatorial team or just even the, the camaraderie of just being gladiators. But on the other hand of that coin, you have prisoners people who are stuck in a jail cell together right that
0: one's really common i see that a lot in Um, and then
1: kind of the, the the most common inciting thing the inciting faction is victim you are the victim of some sort of disaster or an attack or something that is going to bring your party together as a faction
0: this makes a lot of sense for things like if everyone in the party is an elf or everyone in the party is a cleric, or whatever it is. If there's a real strong aquatic theme, then there can be some world event that brought them there as as refugees. And it's not just, you know, the, the idea of refugees means there's a disaster that pushed them out, mm-hmm. as opposed to there could be something that pulls them in, like a festival or something as well. And they're just traveling merchants, or they're, they're curious about seeing it. Like, there are all sorts of reasons to bring people together. Yep. There are lots of different factions, but there's... A million kinds of guilds, too. So let, let, let me just list off a few of them. I'm going to kind of hit the highlights. Yeah, for sure. So there are, are adventurers' guilds. Adventurers' guilds are just going out into the world and seeking treasure. You're treasure hunters. Yeah,
1: this, this is your stereotypical thing. This is your... You are going to uh, delve into ruins and uh, trek into jungles on. Un- uh uh, mapped by man,
0: right? I mean, this is why the D and D gameplay, official gameplay, is the Adventures Adventure League, right? Yeah. Like this is Adventurers Guild. There's also an Explorers Guild, which is more about mapping and charting and going to unexplored places. They're still going to the ruins. They're still going to go um, look into these ancient, bizarre, old places. But they're not there to slay dragons and take hordes of money. Yeah um after that of course you got your merchants guild which is i mean it's self this
1: is this is your guild of um shop owners shopkeepers and those who run the upper businesses maybe even um the
0: bankers could be part of a merchants guild as well yeah these are also the people that are are on the trade routes these are your traveling merchants as well that can Mm -hmm. be part of guilds and there's more than just that in a merchants guild because you've got employees you've got uh You've got hired muscle that is going to uh, escort the merchants, yep. perhaps. So there's a lot that can go into a merchant's guild. Merchants are not just shopkeepers. They can be bakers. They can be butchers. Anybody that makes a profit for a living can be part of a merchant's guild. Yep. So there's a lot of options in there. Then there's also thieves' guilds. A thieves' guilds and assassins' guilds really go hand in hand as being kind of Criminal underbelly kind of situation. We latch on to thieves and assassins because that's what's listed under the rogue section. Yeah, but there's a lot of mafia, organized crime kind of stuff that you could get into there.
1: And and just as personal feeling of me, like uh, thieves guilds are there to steal, to pilfer, maybe to sabotage, but they're not there as hired killers. An assassin's guild's a hired
0: killer. Uh, yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. But you're not going to have thugs in an assassin's guild. Where Assassins are highly trained. trained
1: professionals.
0: Yeah, these are your assassins and hitmen, right? And, and they're hard to find. You're not just going to the
1: like the front door of the sh- uh you know the storefront of Jimmy's Assassins Guild Limited. You are having to search these guys out yeah. and like pass a test before you're allowed to speak to anyone.
0: Yeah, this isn't John Wick, right? No. So you're just not walking in the front door and like oh, hi, I'm here for the Assassins Guild. Yeah. No. Um after that there is kind of the more commoner side of things which is the laborers guild and laborers can be your masons and your stone workers and your carpenters and whatnot. This could be your union level work, but it could also really just be the peasants that need to make a buck in order to make it through the winter. Yeah. Look, I've got a couple of, of arms that can lift. I've got a strong back and I've got no money or food coming in for my family. What can I do? And there'll be laborers guilds that will hire people on. This is a really good way. If all of your players start off coming from an, Urchin background, or yeah, or they're they're ex cons. This one just got released from prison, and what who's gonna hire them on? The laborers' guild. these are your blue collar workers. These, these are your guys who, I mean, I could
1: even see like these are these are the ones who work the fields for farmers. Yep, like your farmer might be part of a merchant's guild, but he like the merchant's guild will hire from the laborers' guild to do the menial laborers'
0: tasks as well. Yep, there's also the mercenaries' guilds, these are very common in D&D as well. Yeah, these are swords. They're not militia. They're not battalions. These are ex-soldiers that have decided to make a profit by spilling blood, right? They're not necessarily murderers, but they are willing to break a nose and leave you uh, bleeding without pants in the middle of a ditch somewhere, right? And they'll market
1: themselves as being the guys who protect caravans or can help uh, defend a city under siege for a price. Yeah. But... Quite often, these guys are just going to be a bunch of skilled thugs. Yes. Yeah.
0: Um, on the opposite side of that, we have a mages' guild, which is pretty much exactly what it sounds like. This is your magical guild. They're pretty standoffish from the regular people, um, the regular commoners and, and your peasants. Again, these are going to be your, not necessarily upper nobility, but your learned scholarly mages that yeah. trade in knowledge and, and scrolls and wands, and this is what they're interested in. They don't care so much about gold. However, they will care about the gold's uh, the gold's weight worth of a diamond or exactly. whatever, right? An
1: offshoot of this will be, of course, your bards' college or something else like this. Like that, that is where someone is going to be learning and and supported by the guild for their arcane craft.
0: Yeah. Now, um, speaking of intelligence, we also have investigators guilds as yeah. well. These are your private investigators, obviously your PIs. Your personal dick will be one of the uh, one of the investigators. Ah, lucky <laughs> uh, Dan's favorite is the investigators guild. I do, yeah. Um, well,
1: it's it's always a fun in for a character to be the guy who is there to solve the riddles, and that's where your investigator is going to come from, right? They're, they're, they are the ones who are may or may not they're going to be a little bit more morally ambiguous they're they're okay with breaking into a building to solve a crime for a price the truth
0: matters more than morality exactly yeah um, there's also the archaeologists now this goes back to the explorers as well but the archaeologists are there for a specific reason we want to get the bones of the blank the artifact from the magical thing we want to know yeah. and we're going to report back with the internet's going to yell at us if we don't say it these are the guys who want everything. That it belongs in, in a museum. museum. Yeah, this is your Indiana Jones. Right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and the last one, closely um, related to the Mage's Guild, is going to be the Alchemist's Guild, which is more about alchemical knowledge and passing poisons and acids. And uh, yeah, this could have a good bend or an evil bend as the poison maker or the you know potion maker. Yeah, and if you're going to start off or you want to put a hard world on easy mode. Start off in an alchemist guild where you're getting health potions at a very cheap price. Uh So you think about the boons and the benefits as well as the downsides of working for any one of these. You don't just have to be a mercenary to be in a mercenary's guild. They still need people to drive the carts. They still need people to wash the windows and to to cook the books. Yeah, it's very important. Not everyone in a mages
1: mage's guild is going to be a wizard or a sorcerer or a bard. There, There is going to be cooks. There are going to be laborers. There's going to be, um, you know, administrators that are not porters mages.
0: porters and servers and, and whatnot, right? And all of these will be part of the guild. And it's
1: very important to know that because if you want to inject some sort of realism or life into your guilds, remember, not everyone is going to be the class associated with this. And no, none of these except for maybe the Mage and the Thieves Guild are really closely linked with any one given class.
0: I would say the explorer and the
1: ranger, maybe. Maybe, yeah. But, like, that's for a reason. Like, your thieves' guild is going to be a thief or a... Or, sorry, a rogue.
0: Or it could be a barbarian and you're a thug. Yep. Look, if you end up with two barbarians, maybe that leans towards uh, mercenaries. If you're going to be two, if you've got two uh, artificers, maybe you're going towards alchemy. Yeah. Right? Like, you should look at your party and say, hey, this guild kind of fits. What do you guys think about this? And you give them different options. Now, part of the deal with guilds is that there are, there's usually a catchy name of some sort. Yep. There's usually an emblem of some sort. And you've got a population of other people with, with really interesting perspectives and backgrounds. And again, this gives your world a sense of history. It also gives you a home base. Yep. Where in the city is this guild? Because the thieves guild and the mages guild are going to be in very different places, Mm -hmm. right? A, A mercenaries guild can also be bandits, right? I mean, that's kind of a sub genre that we don't really, we didn't talk about. You guys could just be bandits on the road trying to, trying to live your life, making a penny doing this yeah right? i mean this list is it's not comprehensive it's, it's long but it's, it's not comprehensive right
1: there there are going to be other guilds that kind of either fit within this or are outside of it that we haven't mentioned right like it's it's all a matter of looking at your party seeing what the balance is giving them a guild that kind of fits their balance or can bring them all together but at the same time looking at the opposite side of that coin and giving an opposing guild. Because if you're going to have a corporation, you need an uh, an anti-corporation.
0: Right, so drop us a line at info at itsomimic.com and tell us about the interesting guilds or factions that you've been a part of, or that you've seen in your games, maybe either as a DM or as a player. Something that you thought would be really cool and you didn't get to explore or something that you played for years, whatever it is, we want to know what kind of batshit crazy (laughs) guilds and factions and organizations that you have been a part of. So, now that we've talked about what the guilds and the factions are, let's talk for a second about what our guild is and, (laughs) and why we chose it. And the very first thing that we wanted to start off with is the fact that we want to have some magic items. We said that it's a high magic world. But magic is not easily accessible, so how do we get magic items into the hands of our players? Especially at low levels when they're just in a guild. Yeah. So we decided to go with a merchant's guild because that really kind of fits that. Mm-hmm. And it opened up a lot of options about who could be involved with it as well. And... Uh, and. We decided to go with, a, uh, with one that Dan came up with, which is the Black Ink Union. Yeah, th- this Merchants Guild is all about staying in the black.
1: So they're the Black Ink Union. Uh, it, it was a really cool little turn of phrase. And it's something you need with every guild. You need something that is memorable that the party can instantly recall to bring back.
0: Yep. So their emblem that we came up with is going to be a... Uh, like a inkwell and then a quill. Yeah. And it's going to be very simple. It's going to be white on a black background. And it doesn't need to be any more than that. No. Anybody flying these colors is going to be protected by the guild... And, uh, and people know to look out for it for, for good deals or, you know. Yeah, and you join the guild to get a discount and and um, you can um,
1: really tell, it, it. think of like the Better Business Bureau even. This is kind of the same. You know a place is reputable if they're part of the Black Hank Union.
0: Yeah, and you're going to have people that will only deal with them and so on and so forth. So there's a reputation aspect and, and an honor that comes with this as well. For, mm-hmm. However, we didn't want to start off with the, best thing ever and have nowhere to go. <laughs> so in Sandspit, our little merchant town that that we've decided to be in with all the swirling sands around it in the middle of the desert, there is this little walled city and there and not every merchant passing by comes into the city. But any member of the Black Ink Union will because they know that there's a chapter house there. That's the other important part of guilds. Yeah. Our chapter house We decided to start off a little pathetic to see if we can grow. And while this is not a comedy campaign, we really latched on to a funny, ridiculous character that we think is going to engage the players at early levels. And if we have no plans for this, but if anything bad befalls this character, that will be an emotional punch. That should get everyone's attention and push them forward on the next plot hook. Exactly. Now, we are planning to grab and steal NPCs and stuff during Tier 2. We know we're going to do that. So we want to fill out a lot of uh, the different members of the guild. But you should know our chapter house itself exists, uh, I think, above or below. It's going to be a magic shop. And it's called Tremblay's Discount Magic Items. And it is a dusty, dirty, disorganized magic shop yeah. where everything in there is a wand with one, um, with one charge left in it or a potion that's been half drunk. Yeah, or a, or a scroll where the bottom half of it's been ripped off and it's gone or covered in ink. So this allows us at an early level. And again, this is because Dan and I have a lot of experience designing this stuff. We can give out small magic items with Mundane things that that the players can be excited about and interact with, or hey, I can cast Fireball once, but it's all d fours instead of d eights because the wand is cracked. Or even your you like his main thing he sells are the magic items from Xanathars that are just like this cape will billow if you ask it to. Yeah, and so (laughs) it's cheap. And your players can have access to some of the stuff, and it is discount. You know that this is secondhand items. This yeah. is a pawn shop for it's, magic items. <laughs> yep. And it's run by, I mean, it's right in the name Tremblay. And we're going to talk about um, about um the guild members in a moment, but Tremblay himself is such a key part of this story and a part of the setting and the guild itself. Tremblay is a Aarakocra. He has a nervous disorder which means he's consistently molting and he's mostly bald. And trembling. He's trembling. He's trembling, trembling. And he just is very nervous and kind of elderly and kind of speaks his mind out loud as he's going, always apologizing, very befuddled, and falling all over himself. And this is someone who is both knowledgeable but pathetic. Yeah. And we really want to hit that, not empathy, sympathy. <laughs> we want to hit that early because that's going to be a real good way of getting the players to be involved with an NPC right off the bat. They have a patron. Not a warlock patron, like a, an actual patron who is going to sit there and say look, you guys are my employees at this chapter. In Sandspit, you guys are on the payroll for Tremblay's discount magic items in the Black Ink Union. And so Everybody else from other uh, chapters from everywhere else in the world will come by expecting the, you know, four star hotel, five star hotel. We've been expecting like we sleep on on beds with three mattresses on yeah. it, and it's. It's beautiful. We have only the richest, finest ones, and but they encounter Tremblay's discount magic items, and it's you know. Well, we deloused you know a month
1: ago, so I mean, you might get a small bite, but yeah, we're we're good.
0: Yeah, the but the bed bugs are only the size of your thumb. Yeah, right? that's it. So and there will be quite a bit of uh, here's your complimentary rolled up newspaper It's from three months ago. <laughs> yeah, and it doesn't have the back two pages, and it's yellow and smells like cigarette smoke. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and so we wanted to start off low so that we can build high as yeah. we go on. We can also have the, I mean, everybody loves an underdog story, right? And that's why we start at low levels so that we can overcome being the underdogs. So this is why we start a little pathetic. You can start a session of a campaign in high society with riches, but there's a reason why most people don't. And it's so that you have a sense of progress over time. And this is a subtle thing that a guild or an organization will allow you to have Early on, so now we're going
1: to be talking about who specifically is in our chapter of the guild, okay? Um, and right off the bat, you need a guild leader. Um, this is the guy who runs the Black Ink Union everywhere. This is your main guild leader.
0: So this is going to be your president of the company, your CEO, right? Yeah. This is the guy that that all the profits he gets a chunk of. You don't necessarily need to have him be paraded around in front of your party. No, but like you drop his initial on signed official
1: documents yeah. or, or or something like that, right? You you have Tremblay be a little wary of this guy, right? Like be subordinate of him and be like, oh, you were told to do this by this guy,
0: right? Every five years, there's an inspection and this guy shows up and Tremblay's freaking out every time this happens. Yeah. So what we've done is we've built uh, a, a
1: dwarf who, of course... You know, very logical, very methodical kind of uh, uh, guy, but he's got a soft spot for Tremblay, which is why he's allowed Tremblay to exist for as long as he had. It's, it's also because it's in Sandspit way off in the boonies somewhere, so it's not
0: a huge concern, but maybe there's some sort of past relationship between the two. Maybe they're old adventuring friends or whatever it is from way back in the day, but the Dwarf definitely looks at, look, it's the Black Ink Union. You only get to join it if you stay in the Black, except Tremblay. Yeah. Who is consistently riding the red all of
1: the time. All the time. So this is the guy who maybe eventually might pop his head in to express his displeasure at Tremblay or um, kind of urge him on. Um, I, I think he's mostly down to like he's he's mostly a very business oriented person um he runs a merchant skill he's kind of got to be very well organized
0: no you know, he's got a soft spot right right before the uh, we hit record we were talking about him and I said yeah you know what he needs to have you always call him Mr right you don't get to know his first name and he needs some sort of name that that gives idea of wealth and creation and I said you know you should be mr.. Mr. Goldsmith. Yeah. And it, it needs to be something like that. Um, I like the idea of calling him Mr. Goldbloom, and then he could just be Jeff Goldblum running around, and that can be your character inspiration. <laughs> yeah, you, 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 use the voice, too. Why not, right? <laughs> Work on your Jeff Goldblum impersonation, everybody. Yeah, but... <laughs> Can you imagine having having Jeff Goldberg from Jurassic Park walking in and just with disdain walking around the magic shop going, Wow, this this is dusty. How do you stay in business? Are you sure? Really Tremble passive I aggressive. Finds a way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. So so that was our that was our guild leader. Um we also wanted to have a traveling merchant that could go with them, that can give them a bunch of um of help. Yep. Uh And kind of give them an idea of what's out in the world. At low levels, they should know the world. They should see a map. They should understand it. But they haven't necessarily been to these places so that the characters can discover them for the first time. Yeah. This is your guy who's going to give them kind of that
1: vision beyond the walls. Give them kind of the points of interest. That they will then later
0: decide to go explore. And I think that he's going to go with them a lot of the time. He's going to drive their carriage. He's going to be kind of the person that says, you know what? I've got, I've got some stuff that I got to go sell over in this city. You're headed in this direction anyway. I'll give you a ride there. You do your stuff. And if you're done by this date. We can come back together. Yeah. Right? And Th- this
1: guy's probably going to be a bit, maybe a former warrior or mercenary or something that has gotten into the merchant business because it's better money or he hurt himself and thus
0: cannot do his mercenary work. Right. So what we wanted to do, again, is have someone that was not as useful at early levels as as the party themselves – so how do you have an old experienced person? We've got a nervous disorder for one guy. We've got too rich to give a shit for the second <laughs> one. And then for our third one, he's missing an arm. His name is Strickland. He's a human. He was an old fighter and he's missing his arm from the shoulder down. And he's just gray and wrinkled and creased and
1: like weathered. Yeah. This guy is out traveling the desert and, and he's competent enough to know his way and, and, and survive. But he
0: definitely needs help to traverse these long distances. Right. So then we got sitting down. We were thinking about how does this guy travel by himself with only one arm? How does he make it work? So he's got a level in Arcane Trickster. And he has an invisible mage hand that he can use to do all of the stuff. He just doesn't let anybody know. (laughs) And the members of the party will know this right off the bat that he has this little secret. They can watch him roll some tobacco papers or fill up a pipe and smoke it with the invisible mage hand. And so they are in his inner circle. They're already friends. Yeah, This, again, gives us an NPC to play with that they will give a shit about. Because a lot of NPCs are not interesting enough or are too distant. They're not going along for the ride. This is someone who's with them. He's got his old... His old war horse that is is pulling this, this caravan. It's just out. as
1: grey and weathered as he is.
0: Yep. Um and uh and like there's character here. Yeah. This is something that we really want to impress. Your other guild members need to have personality. Mm-hmm. Something for them to latch onto. Now we're building these characters because we know our players would love them. Yeah. Oh, like I know that Strickland has
1: a very wide brimmed leather hat that he just wears. Whenever he's outdoors. Yeah. Right? And kind of disguises his face. He's a little slumped. Like, his posture is bent a little as someone who just drives a cart for the most part. And
0: I know that because our party loves people in hats for some reason. I don't know why, but they they do. (laughs) Yeah. So, So the thing about Strickland that I also want to impress is the fact that he is going to be a place, because he's a traveling merchant, and this is really important, when you have a guild... Where are you getting your rumors from? Mm -hmm. Play with rumors. Play with ideas of old stories. He's been to different lands. I had a drink three years ago with the man who claims to have seen a dragon turtle. Right? Over in these waters between these islands. Stuff like that. Because this, is again, is going to fill you with flavor. As everyone stops for a long rest while they're traveling with them, roll on the rumor table that you've made. Yeah. This could be a lot of fun. And if you hit the same story twice... He's an old man telling the same story twice, but you can have some fun with this. What interesting characters are you going to come up with with a personal history in the world? So the last one that we wanted to, to bring up is a porter. Now, this is someone <laughs> who is not not useful. He's a bit of a bumbler. He's He doesn't even have levels. No. But we wanted someone who's kind of a, a bookish kind of... Accountant level stumbling young, a um, Dan said, half orc named Oscar. And I, you're le- welcome. And I, let he it was so
1: excited, he he jumped for joy and s- squealed with excitement at the notion.
0: <sighs> yep, but <laughs> but in in the name of saying, you know, yes and. Absolutely. You, you will be a half orc named Oscar with his hair slicked down and kind of like thick rimmed glasses. He's still a half orc. He's got big ass muscles. Everyone assumes, hey, you're the, you're the half orc. Go lift that. And he goes, um, Actually, I uh and he's not the Oscar that, that that Dan has played repeatedly. That everyone expects of the big burly barbarian. Like uh he's got a bit of a like an accountant
1: feel to him.
0: Yeah, and but like not even a successful accountant. No, like feel. a bad accountant. He is he's he's Tremblay's accountant, yeah. right? And part of the reason that they're in the red is because of this guy. And constantly I, misplacing his abacus. And we think that he is going to be Traveling with the party sometimes. He's going to need to be rescued sometimes. <laughs> He's going to need to be... Exp- you need to explain things to him. Because this is going to be the guy that sends a message over here or carries your bags or whatever it is. When you don't have a bag of holding yet, you need... You need a minion. A, a minion, a porter, a, a gopher, right? You need A someone. squire. And so that's what this is going to be. Um, and we've decided that maybe we're going to have him be a potentially a double agent where he's working for another guild but we're not sure which yet maybe maybe he's tempted to in the future and the party can talk him out of it if they're not interested in him and they just abuse him he'll double cross them so depending on how the party interacts with Oscar yeah that will determine what he turns into but it's going to start off as a little bookish nerd yeah And I mean, you could always then do the flip of, okay, he
1: takes off the glasses, his posture straightens, and now he's the deep and imposing Oscar that everyone was expecting. But you downplay this right from the beginning so that that hit, that change, like we said in previous episodes, contrast is interesting. Have that, right? The most memorable NPCs I've ever encountered are the ones who have double-crossed me after they were either friends
0: or enemies that have then joined my side, right? Yeah, they're the, they're the ones you remember. Yeah. So just as a recap on who to add, because you're going to have different things if you are on a pirate crew or if you're going to be in a mafia or a cult or a laborer's um, guild, whatever it is. Here's how Dan and I really sat down to build this. We took two NPCs that have higher status and are quest givers, and two NPCs that are helpers with lower status. So we've got um, Tremblay, who's the chapter leader, and this dwarf, who uh, Mister Goldsmith, I guess. Mister Goldsmith, yeah. Who's going to be the um, the guild leader, the owner of the guild. And the higher the status, the less you deal with them. Yeah. And then the lower status is Strickland, the one arm, you know, driver, and this little accountant that's just bad yeah. at his job. Uh, Oscar. And so as we, and I let, I think Oscar needs to have some last name like Battleborn or something yeah. too. That's just in pure contrast to the, who he is naturally, right? And it can be a source of embarrassment and you can, and you can emasculate him in front of others because that will give sympathy to his character, mm-hmm. right? Again, pity and sympathy. And like even Strickland
1: is kind of like, there's, there's a lot of pity going in this way. Even though Strickland's a guy who you want the party to love. Like, even he's like, nah, nah, nah,
0: oh, I can't awesome. lift that. Please, yeah. please lift that for me. Right? And so your party will want to help. They will want to love these characters. And it gives you something to attach to beyond, you know, your long lost lover, your wife that died, your whatever it is. Mm. Right? When you are building a campaign, and we don't know who these characters are yet, so we're building generic NPCs for the party to interact with. I highly recommend that you do as well and a great place to start is in a guild. Yeah. Because if you just start in a roadside tavern and you fill it full of NPCs that you know and love, they're not going to interact with <laughs> 90% of them. Yeah. Um. And,
1: and I mean, you're, you're going to be, of course, going further into depth with this after the group has kind of decided, yeah, this is where we want to go as a campaign, right? Like, we've mentioned in the previous episodes that this is kind of stuff you're building before you pitch it. This... Details we're bringing in here are stuff you kind of want to, like the specific NPCs you want to build before and then fill out and and build out that skeleton later after the party's accepted. That this is what we're doing as a campaign.
0: Yeah, you will know, for example, that your chapter leader is a Nervous Cocker You can pitch that. You know that there's a one-armed uh, horse driver as well. Yeah. Right? You may not know the details of them. You don't know about the Invisible Hand or, or the Molting of the of tremblay or whatnot these are things that we've fleshed out because we've had a week to kind of brainstorm on them but you will have time as well to just jot down little notes here and there before you pitch it really be open have a thousand different ideas because if they show up with an aarakocra a half-orc a dwarf and a human well shit that's your party Yep. You need to change the races of all of these. You'll notice another thing that I, I... You know what? No, I don't like this. We don't have a female character here. Therefore, the dwarf, the leader, the CEO is going to be Mrs. Blacksmith. Yep. I'm or down Goldsmith. For. Mrs. Goldsmith, right? Let's, let's flip it on its head a little bit. Um, we've also decided to go older and younger with Strickland and Oscar, right? And so we are trying to give contrast and options and keep, keep our ability to think on our feet as open as possible. So once you have your guild, they're not going to have a monopoly
1: on everything. They're not going to have a, a full control on the entire culture and economy of the region. You need other guilds to uh, either oppose, balance, or even support your main guild. Okay,
0: But that's a lot of complication right off the bat. But that's a
1: lot of complication off the bat, so I would recommend if you are building a uh, series of guilds, have an idea in the back of your head what other types of guilds you want, but have a little bit more depth to the direct opposition guild.
0: Yeah, now the way that you figure this out normally is to have the one that you're dealing with in your own city... And a basic idea of maybe one or two big, bad guilds as well. They can be radically... They don't have to be evil, capital E. They're just in opposition. They just want to take your money. They want to see you fail. They're going to distrust anyone from your guild. As you will distrust anyone from theirs. Yeah, it's just going to be basic bad blood between people. Um, The same way that there's that person at work that you just don't freaking like. Now, again, start with one in your hometown.
1: And and this is just something to throw at your uh, players before you really start fleshing out everything else.
0: Now, Dan and I were sitting here, we were talking it out, and we came up with a few ideas that we really liked. And we figured that we went north, south, east, and west with the previous episode. So we were just going to plunk uh, uh, a...
1: A guild center in each one of those locations. Yeah. As well as one in our town as, as a very direct competitor to... You know, Tremblay's discount magic items.
0: Yep. Yeah, and the blank, and the black ink union. And the black ink union. So, so let's
1: roll dice. Yeah, let's
0: roll dice to see uh, um, which ones we want to reveal in what order. Sure. Uh, that's a 15 for me. What do I get? Got a 13. Well, you're up first, Dan.
1: Up to the north, we'll, uh, we'll hit that location first. And we have the Hunter's Guild, which is the Full Quiver
0: Society. Um,
1: these are a, uh, Basically, think trophy hunters.
0: Yeah. Now, look, we said that there are dwarves up there. And so there are going to be dwarves that are a part of this. But they're probably not the people leading it. No. So we're not fleshing out who's a porter and who is a who is the chapter leader. Just hit them with the guild leader or a point of contact. It doesn't matter who is the one person that they're
1: going to run into first. Yeah. And this guy that we have here, uh, we don't even really have a name for him yet. But he's just a corrupt old human man who um is a previous trophy hunter. So I would almost give this guy a like high like a highborn English accent. If you have like something snooty and through the nose.
0: In my head, he's he's the hunter dad from Jumanji. Yeah. His name's like Winthrop. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, right, right? And he's got a monocle and he just talks down his nose at you.
1: And and he just is greasy, like that level of he's he's like a politician. Like he's just Um, And all he wants, like his goal in life is to have the best trophy room. Right? You don't really need to give him more than that. Other than Tremblay has probably been, I don't know, taking magic items from him or... We
0: don't even need to have a reason. We just need to know he's there so that when they show up, whatever they're doing when they go north, they can run into this
1: opposing yeah. guild. And at that point, you could come up with a reason why they are an opposing
0: guild to the Black Egg Union. To the West, we have Jareth's Jollies. Now, I don't even remember what Jareth's Jollies were, Dane. I, I heard you say Jareth's Jollies and I twitched because Jareth is the name of the guy from of the Goblin King. Yeah, from, from the Labyrinth. From the Labyrinth. But I do know that you said that they were something about bards and I decided, look, they're in the West, they're in the swamps, they're going to be Bullywugs. And they're going to be croaking away on their on their ridiculous, um, croaking, uh, magical spells. What and wise earth Yeah, kind of like that. Sponsor us. So, this, <laughs> <laughs> um, so th- these are the kind of... Uh, it's more comedic because, remember, we've got some real danger yep. in the swamp. We've got hags running around. We've got nasty swamp elves. So we actually have these Bullywugs. Jareth is going to be the chief of... Of the Bullywugs, the one that's the king. what He probably calls himself Emperor, yep. right? And he's going to run this whole thing. And he's got the best voice in the world, but it's actually terrible. Uh, and, and, and his rhymes are absolutely abysmal. And his
1: meter is loose and horrible.
0: Now, this isn't directly opposing because they don't really have anything in common with the Merchants Guild. But they are going to harass the party consistently. They're going to be more of an annoyance than anything else. In and amongst their ranks is a disgraced swamp elf that I named Flenimar Longwillow, and Love it. she is a diviner, and her big thing is the fact that she can see the future just a little bit, just a day or two, and it's mundane, stupid, nothing things. But holy shit, does this impress the bullywugs? <laughs> now they protect her like a goddess. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so one of the things that you can run into is is needing her uh, guidance. Or you can run into the Bullywugs who are who are singing in as the sun goes down, just doing the toad croaking yep. that happens, and it accidentally casts spells all the time because they're bards. Yep. Whatever it is, we have something that's going to be more of an annoyance than an arch villain. Yeah, I would I would almost say that like Jareth Strollies,
1: because they're like a bards um, a bards guild. I would I would have them be like they're the guys who are constantly like skipping out on the bill.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Right? And that's one of the reasons why the Black Ink Union doesn't like them. Sure. Right? Yep. And, and like we said with uh, the Full Quiver Society, you don't need to have a reason why right off the bat. But, I mean, some of these guilds just lead to a reason. And it's okay to play into the tropes on this. Um, to the south, we have the Religious Warriors Guild called the Ordo Vixis Pininum. Um, I just threw some things together that sounded Latin. So why the heck not?
0: Does it actually mean anything? Um, I
1: I don't think so I know Ordo is order okay I don't, I don't know what Vixis Peninum actually means I just threw that together
0: so this is just a cool sounding name that you've made up we've just uh, let's just decide right now that um it means something in Dragonborn
1: yeah yeah uh and that way you could already say like dragonborn draconic just sounds Latin almost like it sounds Latin inspired sure um and this this is a a religious warriors guild, so think templars is what I'm uh, is what I'm thinking with these guys, um, and being from the south where there's this massive uh, church of the many gods, it makes sense that they're from there. Right yep.
0: now we are sinking this city, which means that their headquarters are gone, mm-hmm. which means that there is no leader. So whoever this is that's gonna that's gonna lead whatever's left of this Ordo Vixtus Piminum. God, I hate saying that. Um, is uh, is going to be a someone who's displaced and who's probably
1: desperate? Oh yeah, no, they're 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 borderline zealots, if not full fledged zealots. Um, so this this contact you have is probably going to have some very strong emotions about some very very general things.
0: Yeah. So we've decided to have a red dragonborn who just hates arcane magic. Yep. And he has no name. He's just mysterious. He'll have a title. We don't even know what the title is yet. He'll have a title. We don't know anything about his history. But every time that someone talks about arcane magic, he gets that kind of thousand yard stare. And that's it. Yep. Then he comes back and says, no, no magic. And, and that's it. So you can imagine with the gods gone. And his leadership gone? What does this do to this man? And And the fact that you work for a magic shop. Yeah, (laughs) right? (laughs) To the east, we have the Shelter. It's a heroic mercenaries' guild. Now, they are almost dirt poor. They're a bunch of old soldiers that are weathered, and their armor is dented, and their emblem is a big dented shield, and they are there to help the little guy they will often waive the bill to make sure that everybody's doing okay. They have big hearts and poor business sense. And uh, they're actually run by a local celebrity who is a, uh, actually a djinn. And he goes by the name Bernard the Bard because there's a Bernard the Bard in every one of my campaigns. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you let me put in Oscar. I'll let you put in Bernard. Yeah, so um, he's a celebrity because he can grant a wish once a year. He's a disgraced djinn whose magical powers have been stripped from him, but he still has this this little little bit of power, and so he can grant one level nine spell once a year, and everyone just vies for him to to bless them uh, with this wish, and so we really like him as running around being a kind of a pompous asshole, and the the shelter itself is full of these. Wonderful people that are trying to do the right thing. And in the background, he's just womanizing and boozing it up. But because he can grant this wish, the shelter let him. The shelter kisses his ass. Because they can use that wish to help the most downtrodden people once a year.
1: Yeah, I, I really like the fact that like, this, this kind of
0: feels like one of those really false... Uh, self-serving charities, almost. Well, yeah, but I think that he's false and self-serving. Everybody else is one hundred percent a good person, and we need <laughs> him. We just need him to be able to help. We've got this. We've got these refugees that need a new home. We're just gonna wish for a new village. Yeah, We're, we need to make sure that we have a solid crop they're, they're, in the they're, north.
1: They're so they're so altruistic, and 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 they want because they really want this wish. They're kind of pandering, they're kissing his ass the entire time as well. So, like, by the time you finally meet Bernard the Bard, you have this expectation of him
0: being a pretty decent fellow. But no, he's just a prick that's taking advantage of them. Now, the last thing that we have is Sandspit, right? In our own home, who are the number one opposition, who's the villain? This is kind of, we need to... Again, we're not doing big bad evil guy. This is just someone who's going to piss you off. When you get in a bar fight, you're going to get roughed up by these guys. Mm -hmm. They're going to spit on you while you're down.
1: Yeah, these are the guys who are going to stop you while you're walking down the street and and pull you into the alley and beat you up just because you're wearing a
0: patch. They're not going to kill you. No. And a lot of the time, they're going to allow you to get into your own trouble. But they don't want you making money. They don't want you to succeed. This is Lachlan's lot. Now, Dan needed to inject another one of his characters because he's arrogant, I guess. Self-centered.
1: Well, no. We thought of uh, uh, a group of people who just generally are hated across the board. And Lachlan was the first gut name that sprung to my mind.
0: So this is actually a gnome that Dan plays in our Sunday campaign who owns this. Uh, these are... Um, it's an investigation guild but they strong-arm merchants left, right, and center yep. because they don't, like, we put a little bit more effort into this one just because... It's in your home base. It's in your home base. You need to know who your opposition is. We're going to establish this early in Session 1, right? And to give you who you're, not a villain, but who is a nearby bad guy that Antagonist. you can, who can... You can beat up on yeah. a little bit. Um, they don't trust merchants because merchants travel around... They bring with them crime. And anyone who travels in and out of town tends to bring a little bit of the rough lifestyle with them. And so they're always blaming the Black Ink Union for local crimes. And any time that there's someone from the Black Ink Union that comes into town, Lachlan's lot wants to get in their face and rough them up a bit and let them know that, hey, you're not welcome here. And they're not the police. They're not the town guard. But they think they are. Yep. They, they have a kind of
1: holier than thou attitude as they go, like, we are better than you in every way, and we want you to understand this. Yep.
0: Yeah. Now, Lachlan himself is not a bad character. He's not a bad guy. So we didn't want to really put him in that position because Dan's all sentimental and shit. <laughs> so we grabbed an uncle. He doesn't have a name yet. He's a squirrely haired old gnome who just, who just is disappointed in the way that things are going with, with yeah. Lachlan. He's the reason why it's so rough and tumble. He's the one that's putting out these, these. you know what, get in their way. You three, go flip over that cart and make sure that they're run out of town by the end of the weekend. But on the other hand, he's the guy going to Lachlan and feeding him disinformation about how things are going. Yeah, and so this gives you someone locally that for the first eight or nine levels, we can just run into every time we're back in Sandspit. We can fight up against this guy. Yep. He's not tied to the overall plot. This is a subplot that we're using. Now remember we talked about there being a secondary plot uh, in episode one. You want your main overarching the gods are missing and number two is guild warfare. That's where this is coming in. Yep. As we continue to flesh this out it feels like we're leaving the guilds further and further behind. However, this guy and Lachlan's lot they're going to be front and center in this subplot and it should be resolved. By level 10 so this is going to be a major issue because the party is going to be heading down into the underdark by level 11 right and the guilds are going to be i mean they're not going to be pointless but there will be other guilds that are down in there as well you may run into members of lachlan's lot down in the underdark who saw you and are willing to sell you out to the Durgar yep. for a price, whatever it is, these guys are going to be meddlesome um, second row bad guys the entire time. And it's going to come to the point where your players, your lawful good paladin is just going to wish that he could crush the freaking gnome skull with his bare fucking hands. Yeah. And, oh my God. And this is the kind of thing that we want these, whereas our own guild, created sympathy and pity the opposing guilds
1: frustration and anger
0: and annoyance with the with jareth's jollies so you see we're building these based on emotional reactions yep. that we would like to elicit from the from the party members and again we don't know who that is yet we don't even have players lined up we don't know what their fears and and um And insecurities are And pet peeves And yeah. like, we just don't know So we're leaving it wide open And we suggest that you do the same When you start to build these as well If you have a character who Or a player who builds an elf It's going to make a hell of a lot of sense For you to have a drow In the opposing guild Yeah Right And so stop and think about what you can do Whereas all of the other ones Got kind of one characteristic about them this one specifically has a relationship between the owner and the chapter leader. Yeah. So there are two aspects to a session zero, and we haven't really we covered one
1: of you know making sure you're not covering subject matter that people are gonna be opposed to. Yeah. And, but, and and pitching your own ideas. And pitching your own ideas. But there's also character creation. Once your party has accepted that this is the campaign we want to do, everyone's going to sit down and roll characters, right? And whatever process you do, that's fine. But you as a DM, this is a great opportunity for you. While everyone's kind of tossing around the ideas, you know, maybe the guy who's been playing a cleric for the past six months really wants to play a barbarian now. You're making little notes of um, what your players are because, of course, you are your DM. That's one thing you should do. But also what is antithetical to the character they're building.
0: Right. Yeah, when they say, hey, I really want to play a bard, but I don't want to sing. Singing bards annoy me. Oh, shit. I'm going to give you a mirror image of yourself. Your dwarven bard is going to have a Duragar bard that just sings better than you. Yeah. Right? And that kind, kind of... Like operatic. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't have to put them all in the same guild. No. That's a little on the nose, frankly. Oh. But.
1: Or Or even in the same town. You just are making these notes to fill these out and like have one of these uh, nemesis type characters in each of the guilds or, or like one in the guild to the north, a different one in the guild to the east. Like you have this is your opportunity to kind of flesh these out and start fleshing these out even during your session zero.
0: If you don't know yet quite exactly who your players are going to be, who the characters are going to be, but you want to get into the character creation a little bit more. Build guilds, put the people in there because having this this gnome character, this uncle, hate Tremblay, and your players love Tremblay, that's gonna give them something to really fight against. Exactly. Right? And so again, conflict and contrast are interesting, and we should try to inject that into every single session. And every decision that we make as we're prepping a campaign, what conflict can we find from this? It's very easy to say, look, I've got three wood elves in my party, so there's going to be a forest nearby where they come from. But that's not conflict. No. It's very easy to say, oh, the farmstead where you... Where you come from is full of your 12 brothers and sisters. Both of your parents and your, all your grandparents are still alive. It's fantastic over there and everybody's very happy. Then why are you here? (laughs) Yeah, right. And so you don't need to have the tragic edgelord backstory, but you don't, and you don't necessarily need to attack player or character history. Please don't attack your player's history. <laughs> but you don't have to attack your character's history. You can attack an NPC's history. Yeah. Someone that they care about. And look around and say, what can I build with guilds? What can I build with factions? And what can I build with NPCs? And that's how Dan and I approached this right from the beginning. Is Not only what is interesting to us, because you can listen after the episode. You're going to hear us toss a whole bunch of ideas for both guilds. And NPCs back and forth. And you'll see that we kind of merged a couple of them as well. Oh, yeah. Um, but you can sit there and do that. But then you say, what is going to serve this purpose the best? And so having a, a private investigation guild trying to find out why the sinkhole appeared is going to be directly in opposition. I mean, that's parallel. To what what your players are going to want to do, right? And so they're going to have to deal with these guys all the way along. And that's why we didn't choose something like an Assassin's Guild. Why do the Assassins care? They don't. Nope. There's no money in it, so they don't care. But the Merchants care because... Wait a minute. Where did all those, that treasure and gold? Where did the, the banks? Yeah, the <laughs> banks just fell into the underdark. What does this do
1: to the economy? We need to deal with this right now. And when you have a guild that is so strictly focused at bringing down your guild and they're also the ones that are investigating all the crimes, now you have some intrigue of there's nothing stopping them from blaming you for everything. And all of the town's guard or policing outfits in the area taking their word for it. And now you are being hunted by town's guard who think you are the bad guy even though you're not.
0: At, at the very least your guys have to be interrogated a couple of times yeah right? So we've got these interesting things. We we have we know that there's going to be a mismatch of of ideas here. When we said to the south there's this religious warriors guild um with the red dragonborn, well obviously the city sank yeah so he's going to be in the in the jingling city that we talked about in the last session there's going to be people out in the world and you can think about what are the guilds doing why is he there was he going to the city did he just leave is this some sort of idea that that he was lucky or maybe there maybe this is his god blessing him Mm -hmm. right but he can't hear his god anymore what does that mean Just by adding more aspects to it and fleshing out without really fleshing out anything. (laughs) Just by determining the basic details of another aspect of your world and by understanding a little bit of the politics. We haven't had kingdoms. We haven't had mayors. There's no governors here, right? There's no big religious leader or archpriest. We haven't done the big ones. It's just guild level. Yeah. But look at how much we've managed to flesh out our world. What are you going to do in yours? So now that we have a good grasp on the guild, our players will
1: be in. Let's take a week and allow the ideas to ferment in our brain barrels. Hopefully this will give us some opportunities to come up with some interesting starting encounters for a level one party. Tune in next week when we discuss encounter prepping and planning for your session zero.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the new It's a Mimic campaign builder series. You can find us at www.itsamimic.com and on iTunes, Spotify, and most podcast catchers. We're also available on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and more. And we'd love to hear your thoughts on how you would use this episode in your own homebrew campaigns. I'm Adam. And and I'm Dan. And we'll be back with more prep work next week. Fermenting our brain barrels with (laughs) that shit. (laughs) Here's the part where we sit down and say, what are our ideas for, for the guilds that we potentially want to play with? Um, I want to include uh, the name of the guild and maybe a quick little description, something to, to flare up a little bit of inspiration. Yeah, sure. Because by the end of this, we're going to choose the one. And this is going to be the one that we're going to really stick with for our own party. And how about we choose a couple of uh, competing guilds? Oh, that, I like that too. People that they bump up and they run Should up Should we choose it. one for each landscape that's around? Sure, we can do that. Yeah, let's let's tie all that together. But uh let's have one direct enemy in the in starting the starting. So we have two in the starting and then
1: one for each of the external. So, yeah,
0: so we'll come up with six, but let's pitch our, our okay, five each.
1: You got a 17, and you knocked me to a seven. <laughs> I got a 13.
0: Uh, that was completely by accident. I hit two walls on the you dice box. So. Yeah,
1: all right. So what you got, Adam?
0: All right, so the first one that I want to do is your basic mercenaries guild. Plate mail wearing ex-knights. These are knights that have been disgraced for whatever reason like the upper echelon Act. They're a bunch
1: of ronin basically.
0: Uh, it's not even that they're just masterless knights. It's they have dishonored. They've broken the, the chivalric code and, uh, and they have broken their tenets. This is probably going to be all oath breakers if you were going to put a subclass to them. Mm-hmm. Right? So these would all be oath breaker paladins that have banded together because war is their only way of life. That's what they know. And they're going to make money at it. And they're looking for where the next fight is going to be. And they want to be in the thick of it for money. Highly trained, highly skilled. And the players are coming in at the base level as the next generation to be trained up to their level. Um, but they know that they have to diversify so they can have a mage and a priest and whatnot mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. But it's about combat. They need to bring in a healer to help with the combat. There's always the medic and whatnot. Yeah, there's so, always a reason. Yeah. So uh, And their name is the Iron Grip and their emblem is a gauntlet. Like a clenched fist and a gauntlet on a black background. Okay.
1: Glad we're not using the Greyhawk gods because that is an actual god emblem. Is it? Yeah, uh, for Hextor. I think there's arrows involved as well, but yes. Um, so on mine, I have the Full Quiver Society, which is a hunter's guild, which uh, is more adventurer's guild.
0: They well, are... Exploration. Uh, exploration,
1: maybe, maybe. maybe a little as well. They kind of are in between there. But it's your old-fashioned trophy hunting guild, right? These are the guys who are like, listen, we hear word that there is a um, Kotoa tribe over there. Bring us Koatoa scales, right? And that's all they're there for. So it's uh, it's an old fashioned uh, hunting guild that's just there to bring in monsters for trophies, and um, it's funded and backed by some rich guy who just wants these trophies, wants that room full of stuffed animals and stuffed creatures that he, you know, just wallows in, um, where he pays out uh, he pays out bounties for these rewards.
0: I like that. Do you have an emblem for them?
1: Yeah, no, man, it's literally, it's a full quiver. Why not, right? Full quiver with a little banner at the bottom that's got some Latin or something on it.
0: Cool. No, I like that. Um, All right, so my next one is uh, an adventurer's guild. Okay? And this one is just simply called The King's Ransom. And it's funded by a local monarch. Okay. And the local monarch is just a big fan of lore and stories and... Well, apparently there's a lost city somewhere in the swamp. I send my people out to go get it. He is is amassing trophies himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Adventurers Guild goes out and is hired by him. And is like card-carrying members of, of the King's Own Personal Guild. And... Uh, and it's called the King's Ransom because... And
1: that would give them access to areas as well that might be shut off to your normal guild.
0: Yeah, I- exactly. And it's going to be a shock when, we don't care, it hits them in the face. So, yeah. Uh,
1: my next is a mercenary guild, uh, but with a religious tint to it. It's the Religious Warriors Guild that I call the Ordo Vixis Priminum. Um, it's to basically uh, proselytize and strike down opponents... Uh, to their faith uh, what I would say in our world that we've built these guys are protecting kind of that Unitarian church idea that we had where they've selected the gods inside there and these are the gods that everyone's allowed to worship anyone outside of that realm whether it's great old one or um, some other form of patron like high-powered
0: devils and
1: stuff. high-powered devils they are out there on a holy crusade to strike them down and they've they're bringing people in to join their cause right? Um, so, it, it's got that religious bent. It's it's, ran by some uh, high-end religious character. Um, and, honestly, the, the logo for this is... I don't know. They're Knight Templar, man. Like, it's not hard to just have a blank white tabard with a red simple cross or line or something on there.
0: Oh, sorry. Um, For the King's Ransom, their emblem was just going to be a crown and then whatever the King's Coat of Arms is. Cool. Right? They're carrying cards. Yep. So, uh, my next one is called uh, Solver's Lot, and it's an investigator's guild. Uh, My favorite thing about Solver's Lot is the fact that most of their cases are just spurned lovers. It's basic... I think he's cheating on me. Follow him around, kind of scenarios. Or yeah,
1: they're they're. Uh,
0: my um, daughter's pregnant, and her boyfriend has just disappeared. Find him and drag his ass back. They're Jessica Jones level investigators. Yeah, and and that is only the senior members get to do more high profile mysteries, right? And so even your level one characters, if we decide that we want to put our um our players into this guild, into the solvers lot, they would do the more high-profile mysteries, because they've been around for a long time, they just don't have more power. Mm-hmm. Not yet, right? Um, and the reason that it's called Silver's Lot is because it's an anagram of lost lovers. Oh, cool. Yeah, which is really what they promote themselves as, as being. They lean in that direction and occasionally stumble upon great intrigue. So Cool, I like it. Um, my next is a mercantile guild. Uh, they are
1: seeking to kind of be the power behind the money in the region. Um, they might by any means necessary, right? And your party is there to secure trade lines, uh, secure the support, um, and membership of maybe some new businesses that are springing up in the area. And their entire thing is to be above that bottom line. So they're the black ink union and their,
0: uh, I like that.
1: Their, uh, emblem is just an ink pot with a, like, um, a a, a quill quill dipped in it. That's it.
0: Oh my God! I, I forgot to do the uh, the investigator, the uh, solver's lot for me was a was a, a magnifying glass with a broken heart in the middle of it. Okay, cool. Um, so my next one is uh, the uh, it's a mercenaries guild and it's simply called the shelter and its emblem is just a gleaming silver shield. And these are heroes doing heroic deeds and they will they're so idealistic that they take on lost causes. No matter what that lost cause is, it, they are going to be the ones that are going to be with you to the bitter end. No matter what, when you have no other options, you can call these guys. If it's if it is just lost hope and there's nothing else that you can do, these are the guys you call, and they will show up. And they are battle hardened, but they're they've never strayed from their lawful good morals, and they want to uphold as many laws as possible. But but good is more important. Okay, cool. Um, sorry, hold on. You always say "Okay, cool" before I say what the emblem is, and I end up coming in afterwards. Sorry. So, um, so the emblem is the uh, is the this big silver shield, but it's also beaten to hell. It is a used shield, and only ex-military are part of this this guild. Cool. Okay, my next one I have here
1: is uh, uh, Jareth's Jollies, which is an adventurers guild, um, but. It's got a little bit of a Mages Guild spin on it, and basically what it is, it's helmed by a uh, Diviner who uh, is seeking out uh, missions before they become missions, almost. So these things are posted on the board by Jareth himself, who is uh, divining that this person will you know, need our assistance and sends the people out to solve the problems before they really become problems um he's super proactive then super proactive about it and of course he is one of those people that thinks if we save people as quick as we can after the problem hits or we stop the problem we could get more wealth from them through donations and various things like that so he's kind of running that kind of thing he's not the best person in the world he's kind of a scam it's kind of a scam but um
0: does you does ever save people that don't need saving?
1: Oh, 100%. Yeah. Okay. 100%. Um, the logo for this is a crystal ball with an eyeball in it.
0: Yeah, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, my last one is a Merchant's Guild. And the emblem for this is just a giant T with a whole bunch of uh, of like lines coming out of it to make it look like it's glowing. But it's a very simplistic, very uh, low class. There's no artistry to this whatsoever. It's just an uppercase T that's glowing kind of, I guess, from these yellow lines um, that encircle it. And uh, this is Trembley's Discount Magic Items. And <laughs> Trembley is a nearly bald Aarakocra with a nervous disorder and tons of money. And he just is trying to get out there and and provide Provide discounts to the people. Let's get magic to the common folk away from the... And he's consistently harried and bothered by all of the upper class, upper crust. And he is the kindest, most gentlest man of all times that has had his shop burned down like six times. And so your your people are um, have been hired on to be a part of uh, the group that goes with the caravans out from, cool. from the main warehouse. And they're they're protection guild, really. Um, but they're also there to like demonstrate the magic items. So they would have more magic items at the beginning. But I love the idea of just this nearly bald freaking chicken. <laughs> just with a nervous disorder. Doesn't know. He doesn't really know how the world works. But, but you know, we found this wand. And it has two charges left in it. And, well, that's worth a couple of gold. <laughs> <laughs> I love this.
1: I absolutely love this. Cool. Um, my last and final one is an investigation guild. Uh, but uh, the guild itself has been built to support uh, the the person who founded it and ran it. Um, but not in the way you would think. He, he, it, they're not supporting him to um, like get more cases or whatnot. They're his basic cleanup crew because this guy is a drunk. He's an addict. He is running around and... He's solving the cases to the letter, but there is so much going on, wrong around him and so many things that are just falling apart. Like the, the I'm thinking of Bob Hoskins and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Very much so. In fact, uh, it's the Lachlan Boyle Detective Agency. There it is. Yeah, yeah, it is. So uh, you are following around this gnome who is a brilliant detective. But the problem is he is so obsessed with his vice and so obsessed with... He's so
0: self-destructive.
1: He's so self-destructive that a lot of times you're going and cleaning up after him and, like, pulling him out of a gutter. And then, like, in a drunken stupor, he's like, (laughs) I solved it. It's this passing back out blackout drunk and puking all over himself. Like, that... He's not the kind of person that, um, you kind of want to hang around with, want to be around with. He's uncouth and dirty and rude, but... He is incredibly brilliant as an investigator, and the entire guild and agency around him is built up to kind of clean
0: up his messes to make it more legitimate. I love that. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, I will. I would just run an entire campaign based on that. That feels like a series of one shots as well. That mm-hmm. oh shit. What are you do you get up to this time? Yeah. Right. Um.
1: Well, uh, one of the one of the uh, inspirations is like Nessingwary from World of Warcraft, where. He's just off in random locations, and you've got to go find him. And then he gives you missions out there, right? And that, that's kind of what it is. You just get a note one day that, oh, yeah, Locky's here. Go get Locky, And now you got to go to Locky, and he's there. He's like, all right, yeah, but
0: here's what's wrong with everything. I like it. Who else would be in this guild? Cool. Well, let's grab the dice and roll it. Yep.
1: Now, we've already also discussed that we have our guild leader already. We have Tremblay.
0: No, he's the chapter leader. He's the chapter leader. Okay. We don't have a guild leader who probably freaking hates Trembling, <laughs> right? So cool. Um, I rolled a six. Uh, yeah, you're going and first. And you botched, Dan. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So uh, my my first one here, and I don't know. Like, I'm just pitching character ideas. I don't know where they're gonna slot in. We'll figure that out in a minute. But the first one is an ex knight. He's a human, and his name is Strickland. He has one arm and shit tons of war stories okay
1: cool um i've got a uh i I didn't name my guys so we could come up with that in a minute but uh we've got i've got a thin squirrely haired knowledge cleric gnome and i'm playing this guy like he's bernie sanders
0: oh my god okay Uh, yeah all right knowledge cleric gnome i'm thinking he's like a librarian or a lore master
1: Okay. And he's basically sitting there and rallying against Tremblay because he's messing something
0: up. And he's always oh, so angry about everything. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, I've got a mage apprentice. His name is Yindel. And the only thing that I know about him is that he wants to live up to his father's legacy within this guild. Okay, cool. He could even be elderly and still trying to capture that moment. Or he could be twenty-one.
1: Yep. Yeah. Um, I've got a, uh, I was thinking kind of a
0: bartender character.
1: Someone that is a, a, a uh, not necessarily a love interest, but some someone that is a good source of kind of the lower level information of the guild. Like how the everyone in the guild is feeling, a morale indicator. Um, and it's a tiefling, a kind nature, but incredibly sarcastic with everybody. Um, redskinned and definitely a bard. If, if things go poorly one day, she's getting up behind the bar and she's playing a song. And I'm thinking, like, she's kind of Selma
0: Hayek-level
1: stuff. Like, that's the inspiration I'm drawing from there.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I like that. Yeah. Okay. An oldie but a goodie with a new twist for you and I, Dan. Bernard the Bard. (laughs) Yeah. For those of you at home, there's a Bernard the Bard in every one of my campaigns. There's always a Bernard the Bard. This has been a a legacy that's gone on for decades at this point. Decades, yeah. So Bernard the Bard, who actually isn't a bard. That's his name. That's his title, Bernard the Bard. He's actually a cursed djinn, or so he claims. And he can only grant the wish spell once per year. And he is a local celebrity with a ravenous fan base. Well, he's basically a a lottery ticket. He, he is. He's a lottery ticket, and he grants that wish to whoever he deems worthy. But he, for the rest of the time, he's just kind of a bumbling idiot that gets by on other people's kindness, huge charisma, and just kind of fallen ass backwards through life. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, next, I have uh, I
1: was inspired by Robert De Niro, um, and I was again a loud. Boisterous, uh, dwarf kind character. This guy's a, it's like more of an administrator or something like that. Uh, but he is when he when he gets these jobs, he puts them on the end of his crossbow and he shoots them across the like, uh, the main meeting yard and embeds them in the wall in the back. And this guy is just loud. He's brash. He maybe is. Uh, I'm, I'm not necessarily thinking this guy is like angry or brooding. He's just. Loud and boisterous and... and
0: uh, you, you say Robert De Niro. I think more of uh, Danny DeVito in Taxi. Yes. Yeah. Kind of like that too. So uh that's what this guy is. Not Robert De Niro in Taxi Driver. It's a little different. <laughs> a little, different. little, different. little bit. Uh, my next one is... All right, try this. A red dragonborn with no name and a mysterious past. Oh my God. Who has sworn off arcane magic for a personal reason. Will not talk about it. And gets that far off distant thousand meter eye whenever somebody brings us. Well, why don't we just cast spells? And he just goes, no, no, no spells. And now he follows a lawful, good, monastic tradition himself. And he's found meditating and trying to cleanse his soul before he dies.
1: Woof. That's got some interesting...
0: Yeah, God knows what's going on. I have no idea where that's going to go, but that's who I want to start with. Cool. Um, I have a elderly, pale,
1: sickly, um, almost like green at the edges, human, um, who is the former guild leader who is stuck on because he has nothing else to do, but he is physically incapable of doing the job anymore. So he uh, he sit there, he's a fount of information, but there's definitely something in his past that has crippled him or corrupted him. On a more uh, heinous occult level. Um, like he's got that uh, one arm that's always tucked inside of his shirt that he never removes or shows anybody and just moves everything around with one hand as he sits on the side of the bar and drinks and just tells stories. Um,
0: I think he has an invisible mage hand that does it for him.
1: Or or, or something like that, yeah. yeah. Um,
0: I'd say he, I, I got Christopher Lee uh, vibes. I, from I would this go guy. Christopher Walken, that's funny. <laughs> um, all right, so my last one. Is an exiled swamp elf. I've been thinking about this since our our episode last week. Yeah. What is a swamp elf? And I think that swamp elves are all about um, uh, what regular elves are all about—arcane magics, right? These are deeply rooted, pardon the pun, into nature and the druidic order and whatnot. And so they are not necessarily arcane, and that's why they've been cast out from regular elf society. They live in the swamp. And they've chosen to do this. Um, and they're, they're concerned with nature and the way that nature is now. And the balance of nature in this moment. So when this female elf named Flenimar Longwillow claims to have dreams of the future. And she casts bones to commune with the dead about the past. She's exiled. And I guess Trembly, whoever was going to be the leader takes pity upon her and brings her into the guild. Nice. Cool. Um, my next is, uh,
1: and I think the last one we are talking about here, um, is a uh, tall, broad-shouldered, um, very clean and well-put-together half-orc.
0: I oh, uh, you were going to say halfling. I was about to flip
1: the tall, broad-shouldered halfling. That's a human, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> um, his his hair is always immaculately, you know, uh, like dapper-danned down. Uh, what's the word of that? Pomade. Always pomaded down. He's got his thin wire glasses. This is a bookkeeper type character. That's a half, That's a half, half orc. orc. Um, and everything's just immaculate and clean about him. But uh, he always brings with him his little cane and he's got a noticeable limp. And whenever you ask, whenever anyone brings it up, he brushes it aside as nothing. But what has happened is he used to be a tribe member or uh, used to work on the ships and is faking it the entire way so if you have anyone else in the party that knows books this guy is just faking it and just trying to make it pass because he is actually an agent from a different uh mercantile order making his way in and trying to bring things down from the inside
0: i like it yeah i like that a lot and his name It's oscar of course it is yes it is